Hello and welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, everybody. Special episode coming at you. Very special episode. If you are new to Almost 30, this is a little bit different than any other episode that we've done. In this episode, we're going to be bringing to you the most insightful, inspirational, powerful components of Camp Almost 30. Yeah. We recently had Camp Almost 30 on July 24th, where we were joined by thousands of you all over the world. It was so, so powerful. And this guest lineup, I have to say, is one of our one of my proudest moments. Agreed. You know? Yes. We were sitting there, Kristen and I were just in the studio, you know, as so many of our guests were speaking. And we just look at each other like, is this for real? I know. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about I wanna say, you know, it's there are many things I could do better in life and that I always seek to do better. But when I look at our lineup, I'm like, wow, very unique. Mm -hmm. The range of topics was incredibly unique. So our intention with this episode is to bring you some of the highlights. If you were one of the people that got to attend camp, it was so great to have you. I think the chat might be one of my favorite parts, (laughs) seeing you all connect in community. And if you weren't able to attend camp, this is going to be some fire for you just for inspiration for the week or really nuggets to help you think differently about some of the major overarching topics that we discussed at camp. Yeah. So these are a few of our highlights. So this is about five minutes of each session. And these full sessions will live in the Almost 30 membership. So as you know, or hopefully you know, we are open for enrollment over at the Almost 30 membership. This is a place where Krista and I really pour into every single day and we're super, super proud to open again. We do the membership in like a six-month season really. And we're able to go deep with those in the membership in a really protected container. We have monthly workshops. We have live hangs with Krista and I. We have meditations, affirmations, journal prompts, resources for you. And now we're doing giveaways. It's just a really cool, grounded place that you can be yourself and learn and grow and heal. Yeah, I cannot wait. And it was so powerful to see everyone at camp just really connecting and see all the intentions of everyone to heal and grow and change. And what's nice about the membership is it can be as deep or it's like a buffet. Like you can really pick and choose what you want. If you want to do something every week. We have something every week within the membership. If you want to do something once a month, we have something for you within there. If you can't make a workshop, we have them all recorded. Um, It's just very powerful. And I know that a lot of the information that we share in our workshops and in our live hangs and in our episodes and in all the downloadables, you can't really get anywhere else. Mm. And if you love the content with Almost 30 or from Almost 30, you will love everything in the membership. It's just amplified everything that we do. And we're able to really go deeper so that it's more applicable to your life than just listening to a podcast and then maybe moving on with your life. Totally. And so just to note, we only have two days left of enrollment. So July 31st, 2021, we will close enrollment for the membership for six months. It is so powerful to get in now. We've seen such amazing people already. We're already conversing in the community thread. So make Mm -hmm. sure to go to almost30.com. We have a whole page that has more information on every single thing included in the membership. We have testimonials. You can just get the real vibe, but I cannot wait to meet you guys and welcome you in the membership. Truly, almost30.com slash membership. Two more days, July 31st at midnight, and we will begin on August 1st. And we are so grateful that Camp was sponsored this year by brands that we really love, by Issue, which is an amazing resource for digital creators. You can use code ALMOST30 to get 50% off a premium subscription. We were also sponsored by Anima Mundi, which is an apothecary. And one of the speakers, Adriana Ayales, is the founder of Anima Mundi. And she is incredibly powerful. It's like my favorite place to get all my witchy spiritual stuff. We were also sponsored by Yoga Wake Up, which is fits perfectly into our morning routine. It lets you do yoga and mindfulness wherever you go. Yes. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Uh, we were actually the first to open the show with yes. our session. So uh, Krista and I did a session on the stories we tell ourselves, which was just a lot of fun. So you'll hear a highlight from that one. And up next... Alisa Romeo. Her session was Meet Your Soul. And then Terry Cole. Terry Cole joined us for Codependency and Boundaries in Relationships. Africa Brooke talked about moving away from self-censorship and into mindful self-expression. Aaron Abke talked about the science of reincarnation. 
And then Samora Suber joined us from Yoga Wake Up. She did a meditation and light movement on knowing your worth. And it was really, really beautiful. Up next is Debbie Brown. You are limitless. And then Adriana Ayalas. She did psychic cleansing techniques through the use of herbs and altars. Then Jazz the Moon Mother, you are God identifying as healed. Last but not least is Radhi Divlukia Shetty. She did conscious living, nourish your mind, body, soul, and planet Earth. We are so grateful to all of the amazing speakers that supported us at camp this year for the thousands of you that attended this free event that we do to launch and open up our amazing membership container that Lindsay and I truly love. There are only two days left to enroll. And if you don't get in this one, you won't be able to come in again until 2022. So make sure you get access to the membership. We are so excited to welcome you. Every single workshop and all the video and all of the details will be within the membership. So if you really loved these snippets, you can find all of the full workshops within the membership. Yes, almost30.com slash membership. Thank you as always for listening. We love you. Thank you to our speakers, our sponsors, and we will see you on the other side. Almost30.com and you can go to the membership page to sign up. And I'm so excited for Lindsay and I to open up and talk about our topic, which is the stories we tell ourselves, which is going to be really important for the day and for camp. I'm sitting up in my chair. I'm so excited. I'm like in your face, ready to do this. Because um, when I really started to dig in and look at the stories that I told myself over time and rewrite and reprogram and rewire those, I've changed my life. And I realized so much of what holds us back from living the life that we want, from having the experience that we want, from living our dream reality is the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, about who we're in relationship with, about the future of the world. And this topic is super important for today at camp and for today overall at this time in history. Um, If 2021 did anything, it was bring us to our knees and shake us to our core. And it also, what I believe, eroded a lot of faith that we could potentially have in our future. And that is one of the most important things we need to have is faith for a better tomorrow. So our belief systems are even the stories that we tell ourselves to define our personal reality. So our belief systems are actually just a series of stories that define our reality. So as a collective, we all know that with quantum physics, the collective experience impacts everyone in the world and the whole human experience. So when we change our belief about our stories, we change the world. We all have this belief system and it really, really helps us to make sense of the world around us. And as humans, we have emotions and we charge these stories as positive or negative. So we give these stories a charge and afterwards we are making decisions. We are telling ourselves other thoughts and things about who we are and what we do based on that specific charge rather than coming from a more neutral seat and seeing these stories as not who we are, not as identity, but as more of, huh, this is information. And so often uh, we can track them back, which we'll do in a little bit, to a specific moment or a specific age uh, or a specific experience. But I am loved. I am powerful. Uh, These are these are the more like positive feelings that can come out of stories. And we always have that choice to choose that. And so, you know, for me, it's been it's been really, really interesting (laughs) to interact with this inner critic who oftentimes has more of the negative swing of the story Mm -hmm. and limits me and convinces me that I'm not quite there yet and that I'm not quite good enough and that I always mess things up. You heard her earlier. I'm not technologically savvy yet. I'm running the tech on this whole Mm -hmm. thing. So uh, she has a way of entering the picture and uh, convincing me of what she believes is true. And it's just really interesting how then I can track the next decision, how people view me, 
and how that just bleeds into every aspect of my life. And you know, thoughts become things. So we have to be incredibly mindful of the thoughts that are directing our every day. But you know, I, I feel like sometimes I can um, I can feel so paralyzed by the negative thoughts and feel like I don't have a choice to change them. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's fact. I feel like this is just who I am. And so how can I just live with it? But it's been incredibly powerful to realize that I can work with this inner critic and that I can change those thoughts and choose something that is much more compassionate and much more love-filled. Yeah. So these are all the stories that we tell ourselves about a lot of different things. So it's our body, it's our potential, it's the world, it's our upbringing. And like I was saying, I think a lot of um, the conversation that's been going on in the past year, especially has really made us feel uh, disheartened and unhopeful about our future. I don't know if you, but I feel like at times that I can't make a difference or I can't change the world or I can't um, impact in a positive way. And that's just a story. We know with some of the great people in history and some of the great experiences in history that history can repeat itself, but it can also change and that we can change with our mindset. And once we are aware of these storytelling tendencies, which is, again, it's a part of human nature, that's how we've really evolved and grown is through storytelling, Mm -hmm. through myth. And the way that we work with these is we first observe the thoughts and emotions. So you all are doing this right now. You are all already observing the thoughts and emotion. You are way ahead of the game. You are way ahead of the game. And what we want to do is try this without judging. Try this without reacting. Try this without identifying. And the way that I like to look at it is by coming from a place of neutrality rather than trying to immediately flip them or trying to immediately combat them and say, oh, no, that's not true. Just observe with a neutral mind. Observe with a neutral mind. You're like, oh, that's an interesting thought. The way that I really use this is by practicing mindfulness. So I leverage mindfulness to always see thoughts as an offering. That's an interesting offering that I'm not enough to, um, I'm not pretty enough to be successful or I'm not smart enough to be successful. Like that's a very interesting observation or offering. And we also have to remember that as very empathic people, I'm sure so many of you are, there are a lot of different energies around you that can have offerings for how to think. And you oftentimes could be accepting or absorbing someone else's thought patterns or beliefs. Mm. So you want to observe, practice mindfulness. And then you're going to want to challenge that negative self-talk. I am so, so, so blessed to be welcoming uh, a dear, dear friend of ours and someone that I have... I have been learning from for yeah. quite some time. Her work changed my life and that is... Um, that is true. Her work changed my life. Elisa Romeo is joining us. She is the author of Meet Your Soul. Soul journaling has completely, completely just shifted how I connect with myself and how I just live on a day-to-day basis. And so today we are going to be diving into how we meet our soul with Elisa. She and her partner founded Holy and Human. They have a book coming out, so stay tuned. Uh, But she is a psychic and just truly a pioneer Mm -hmm. in this work. And we're just so, so blessed to have you, Elisa. Are you ready? I am ready. Hello. So excited. Uh, Same. You're my spirit soul guru. And truly, your book changed my life. A recommendation from our friend, Peter Kelly. Um, It is really how I see my soul and how I work and interact with my soul, which has been the most profound change in my life. So I'm so grateful you're here. Our community are all spiritually curious, beautiful souls themselves with amazing spirits. And I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. This is, I was just feeling all the energy in the chat already. (laughs) Ready to dive in. And I love that you started with stories. What stories Mm -hmm. do we tell ourselves? I feel like that's the best intro to opening up how I talk about soul and what I view soul as is who do we think we are Mm. versus who are we truly energetically and how do we not have a concept of soul, but an experience of soul and be in the moment of just uh, not 
interpreting that necessarily through old stories and traumas and dramas and and all of that. So I love how we started today. My name is Elisa Romeo. I live outside Seattle on a little island. I saw some of you are in the area. And I want to tell you a little bit about my story before we dove in so you kind of know how I come to the work. I grew up in a house where my father was a biochemist. My mom's a mathematician. So I came from a very analytical, scientifically kind of interpreted of interpretations of reality. And I was this little mystic who was having these kind of spiritual, energetic experiences from a young age. I actually remember one of my first memories at Montessori when I was probably about my son's age, which is like six, was they ran a little meditation and I had an out-body experience where I astrally floated above school and then down through my body and went down into the earth and had all these feelings and memories. And it didn't feel to me like an imagination. It didn't feel to me like I was just imagining something like a daydream. It felt more full-bodied than that. So then we came out of that meditation and I said, what was your experience of this? And everybody was like, I feel relaxed and I feel peaceful. And then I said, what happened to me? And I just remember the teachers looking like, okay, and that's nice. You know, just kind of like these odd reactions and also kind of like, is she okay? Is, is something wrong? Um, and so that was my first kind of intuitive understanding of some of this work isn't uh, normal and natural to everyone and, and also can scare some people. And there's something about this work that maybe it's scary. Maybe there's something about this that's not okay. And I think we get that messaging a lot around us just in society. So my path has really been about merging psychology and spirituality. So in terms of how we can feel better about ourselves or actualize, or as Carl Jung calls it, individuate, which is becoming the most authentic, true version of who you were meant to be and who you were born to become. The same way in an acorn, there's all the energy of the oak tree within that acorn. Psychologically, spiritually within us, we have a part of ourselves that is calling to us all the time to grow into and become that specific oak tree. And because we all have a unique place in this universe of what we're meant to do and be, and I'm not supposed to be you and you're not supposed to be me, and there is no comparison on a soul level, we all have our own unique reasons. And I believe the creator also has reasons why we were all created in our perfection and our uniqueness. So soul work to me, because I know words like soul and God and, you know, all the spirit, like that could have 40 million different interpretations and understanding. So for me, soul is, it's not religious, although many religions talk about soul. And again, sometimes disagree and argue about what that means. But to me, soul is the part of us that is all loving, it's all knowing, and it's always there behind the noise. And even if we think it's not there, it soul doesn't care if you believe in it. The same way like the law of gravity doesn't care if you believe in it. So I don't really get caught up on like convincing people or, I, you know, I'm not interested in converting anyone to soul. It's just the term I use to reference the very real felt experience I've had of her. And I've helped thousands of people also connect to the very real felt experience of themselves as love, as that. So talking to soul is basically talking to love. So I think one thing as humans we do a lot is we have, we get stuck in beta state in our brain. And so it's like that Einstein idea that you can't solve a problem from the energy level in which it's created. So this insanity of, I have a problem. Well, how could I solve it? Let me sit with my journal and write a pros and cons list. And then we go in circles and circles, like, but not elevating 
our energy or our true perspective to a place outside of our narratives and our stories and our ego interpretation. So how do we open to a different energy dimension, a different, a higher elevation so that we can, I call it sometimes going up to the penthouse. Like if you're at a hotel at the beach and there's a building between you and the beach, you're not going to see the beach from the ground floor. But if you go up to the penthouse and look out, there's the beach. So with our problems and our interpretations of ourselves, we need to first raise our energy so that we can see the whole setup from a different place. Our next guest has been on the podcast. Uh, I believe this episode in particular got the most amount of DMs in recent history. Uh, Terry Cole is joining us on codependency and boundaries in relationship. I feel like boundaries and codependency has been the theme of so many of our... um, yeah, just self-work as of late. And it's been so profound to connect with Terry to read her book, Boundary Boss. She is a licensed psychotherapist. She is a global relationship and empowerment expert. And she has written this book, Boundary Boss, that I think is one that you need on your bedside table. And I've just been able to really fortify my relationships with this work. Uh, Boundaries sometimes feel a bit uh, daunting and maybe like relationships will end if we create them, but I found it to be the opposite. So I cannot believe she's here. Uh, Terry, I would love to welcome you to the stage. What I want to say to begin is that this is boundaries, issues with boundaries, codependency. So many of us suffer from this because nobody really taught us about boundaries and the way that most of us were raised is that we were really raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. So this is something that it's not just that we need to learn to understand what is codependency and how do I create boundaries in my life. We have to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff and codependency by its sheer nature literally means disordered boundaries. So we know this and we have, you know, we're just talking about child within stuff. We have a downloaded codependency blueprint because we learned this, right? In the in the family systems that we grew up in, they taught us how we're supposed to be in the world and in our relationships and in love relationships and friendships and all the things. And so before we can sort of get to becoming a boundary boss, as I like to say, we need to understand this part of ourselves. So what I'm going to be doing today is just talking about some of the biggest blocks that we have to not being codependent and to creating healthy boundaries, because we need to handle those things before we can sort of move on. So First, understand that codependency is not just in romantic relationships. Obviously, we know this. This can be in any relationship. You could be codependent with a coworker, with a boss, um, with friends, with siblings. I mean, it might sound weird to say you could be codependent with your boss, but it's a fact. Um, this is a dysfunctional boundary pattern, just, just so we're all talking sort of about the same thing, where you are overly invested in the feeling states, the decisions, the outcomes, the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace or to the detriment of your financial and physical well-being, that is being codependent. And many of us learned that that is being loving. If you're sitting here wondering, like, I'm not sure, maybe I'm codependent, maybe I'm not. When something happens to someone you care about, I'm going to ask you to check your urgency because if that happening to the person you love instantly actually feels like it just happened to you and it now becomes your um, problem to solve, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the urgency. It's like I'm on Google. I I am doing this thing. I am figuring this out for you basically. And 
Of course, we can't actually do that, but that is the experience. It also comes into, you know, when, when we talk about codependency, a lot of people don't identify with it. So in the book, I talk about high functioning codependency because I didn't identify with being codependent because I was thinking more like old school, Melody Beatty, codependent no more. I must be involved with an addict, right? If I'm not enabling, then I'm not codependent. That was sort of the view of the day. And then my clients were not identifying. I would see them. They were all incredibly capable, very high functioning. And if I would say, hey, what you're describing is codependent behavior, they'd be like, oh, no, no, you're wrong. You have no idea. I'm the one that does everything. Everyone's dependent on me is basically what they would say. I'm like, yeah, girl, that's being codependent. <laughs> and so I I'd created a new moniker because I do think there are differences. And high-functioning codependency, that was something that I identified with because we're, I was so capable that there was sort of this weakness or this dependency that seemed to go with the old school definition of codependency. But as soon as I understood that what I was really, I was still doing it because let's think about it. Codependency really is an overt or a covert bid for control. We don't want our friend to marry that bad person. We don't want our partner to quit their good job because they're frustrated. We don't want the people that we care about to suffer. But the problem, of course, with codependency is that it is disordered emotional boundaries, right? So when we want to give instant advice to people where we're like, oh, you're talking about something that's causing you pain, I can't wait to fix it. Cannot wait to dive in and fix it. What we're doing is we are centering ourselves in their problem. So I, when I was in my 20s, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just a lover like that, right? Like, I'm just like Mother Teresa, you know me, I'll help anyone. But I really got from a very brilliant therapist that what was really happening was that anyone's life not being in order the way that I thought it should be, or really being a shit show, was really disturbing my inner peace. So what I really wanted was to fix that problem so I could get back to my harmonious life that I had created. So that perspective was like a, a perspective smack in the face to me because it made me really have to look at myself because I liked to think of myself as we all do as like a good person. Like I was being loving, trying to save my sister from that abusive relationship or whatever I was doing. When I really understood that I needed to, A, learn what the hell a boundary was, but B, be able to tolerate my feelings of discomfort and respect that other people are on their own journey in life. So one of the big blocks to doing this is having uh, the disease to please. So does that sound like any of you? Does that sound familiar? Because really, how many of us were taught to be nice above any other virtue? Nobody was like, make sure you go out and have an amazing career. Like not in my life. It was like, be a good girl, be nice, be kind, be loving, be helpful. So again, as I said before, we were raised in praise for being self-abandoned and codependence. But this disease to please is part of this downloaded codependency and disordered boundaries blueprint that is right here in your unconscious mind. So, so much of this work and the PDFs and the things that I created for you guys that you'll get is helping you go into the basement, as I call it, of your mind. But you can visualize that I'm holding your hands and I'm wearing like one of those little minor lamps. So you're not alone. Don't worry. Because the information we need is there. This is how you can determine if you are suffering from the disease to please. really excited. I'm probably going to be standing up watching because I'm just going to, I know Africa is going to be channeling a lot of incredible information and insight. And she is just truly a pioneer. We had her on the podcast earlier this year, and it was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done to date. Um, she is someone that is forward thinking. She thinks for herself. She advocates for all of us to think for herself. And she's truly a new paradigm leader that is helping us rewrite the stories for history and for who we are. 
And she's going to be talking about moving away from self-censorship and into mindful self-expression with you all today. So when it comes to moving away from self-censorship and into what I call self-expression, and I'm sure you know what that looks like, because there have been times where you have truly expressed yourself. You have done that before. You have done that before, and I need you to remember that. But with awareness, the first thing that I want you to think about is where am I holding back from honoring what I really think? Sounds like such a simple question, but you would be surprised. You would be surprised at the amount of people, including myself at times, we don't even ask ourselves the simplest questions. Where am I holding back from honoring what I really think? So where am I holding back from honoring what I really think? Where am I holding back from expressing a different view? And my goodness, (laughs) I'm sure we know this one very well. Expressing a different view today in 2021 is something so many people are so afraid of. Just to say, you know what, actually, I don't agree with that. I feel quite differently. How many of us feel today, even though we might class ourselves as confident people, as people that kind of, you know, I, I know myself but you still feel afraid to voice a different view. I don't want you to judge whatever comes up, okay? This is not about ruminating. This is not about making it a thing. Just start to get curious. Where am I holding back from expressing a different view, be it privately or publicly? I really want you to think about that because it falls under awareness, which is the first pillar. What am I truly afraid of? So based on the information that I have, now I know that, okay, I could be honoring myself in these areas of my life. I have these views that are maybe not the most popular, or maybe it just seems as if they're not that popular because no one's fucking talking about them, right? Once you have collected the data in that area, what are you truly afraid of? Because only when you know what it is you're truly afraid of, can you shift something. And we're not even talking about big shifts. You can shift something. So I can see some things popping up. People are afraid of being misunderstood. People are afraid of coming off as too strong. People are afraid of, afraid of exile, which is a it's a very it's a very visceral feeling to feel like I am going to be exiled from my community for saying how I feel. So what am I truly afraid of? So let's say it's punishment. Let's say it's being exiled. Let's say it's people having the wrong perception. Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to take the risk? And again, we're still in awareness, which is the first pillar. Are you willing to take the risk? Yes or no? Are you? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Good. Someone else said no, and I, I really appreciate your honesty because it's it, you, you're not saying this to make me happy, okay? This is not about what Africa wants to hear. This is about you. Are you willing to take the risk? Even if you're really, you're shit scared, are you willing to take the risk? And if you are, it's about starting small. You don't have to go the whole way. It doesn't have to be public. You start in here, okay? You don't even externalize anything yet. And I say that because I really want you to realize you can remove so much of this pressure from yourself by having the idea that just because you've decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk to be in personal integrity, I'm going to do it. It's an inside job. And I know that saying can sound cliche and cheesy. I'm, I'm okay with that. But it has to start with your thoughts. You have to start allowing yourself to think differently. That's just the first part. Allow yourself to think a little bit differently. Allow yourself to have those wrong thoughts. Just, it's a challenge. It's just a challenge. You don't have to stick to it. Just say, you know what? I'm just going to allow myself to think differently. It's a very internal process and it ties in with awareness because we do have this idea that we have to externalize everything. That's why we feel so afraid because we think we have to share our minds. Um, And because of how digital everything is now, we think we have to share it publicly. You don't. You don't. It really starts with you. You have to allow yourself to have those thoughts. Allow yourself to open those doors in your mind. Allow yourself to feel a little bit dangerous. That is a risk. That is a risk. And you start small. You start small. You don't have to go big. 
We don't have to speak in the way that I do or in the way that anyone else does. You can start small. You're having a conversation with someone that you really do trust and you feel comfortable with and they state an opinion. It doesn't have to be about anything inflammatory or anything really controversial. It can be really simple. And you say, actually, I don't agree. Try that. Actually, I don't agree. Or to say, "Mm, I feel differently about this because try. It, It can be as seemingly simple as that. And again, this is where we realize there's perceived danger, which is usually in our minds. Of course, sometimes it's very real. I'm not undermining that. Self-censorship can really be a safety net for some people because it allows them to be physically safe, material safety. I understand that. However, we are talking about in here. In here, start small. You're having a conversation and you say, actually, I don't agree. Or if you don't want to use that very specific language, which I would say you should challenge yourself to do if you feel safe to do that, right? And it's practice. You only have to do something for the first time once. Once. And that is it. And that is it. And say, actually, I feel differently about this because, or if you, and this is a big one, if you don't have anything to say, you don't have to agree. I don't know enough to give my opinion about this. It means you don't choose self-censorship. You choose to say, actually, I don't know enough to have a fully formed opinion. I don't. I say that all the time. I don't. I don't. And it allows me to not censor myself or to agree with something that I don't believe in. And I say, actually, I, I don't know enough to say it. <laughs> and I laugh. I actually don't know enough to say a damn thing. And that's me being mindful with my speech. And it's so simple. So we don't have to create the chaos and the danger that the mind says is going to happen. You can just keep it really fucking simple. I don't know. (laughs) What can someone do once you say, I don't know enough to have an opinion? And it's still true. And it allows you to build that confidence, the confidence to not know. The confidence to not know. How about that? The confidence to not know. So that is the awareness pillar that I want you to think about, okay? When you're deciding whether you want to speak about something or you don't, or you're feeling feeling quite conflicted, really think about the awareness piece. What am I not honoring? What am I actually afraid of? And is this an actual threat or a perceived threat? Do I have to say it in the way that I think I have to say it, which is actually causing me more internal chaos? Or could I just keep things very simple? Guys, I'm so excited. Erin is a friend of mine. We connected over Law of One, which is a spiritual text that I feel deeply connected to and excited to talk more about later this year. And when we thought about camp, I knew that he was going to be a perfect person because he is so spiritually inclined. He is an amazing speaker. He is someone that I know lives the work. And this is going to be pretty deep. It's going to be talking about the science of reincarnation through the law of one perspective. So I get so many DMs about law of one. I think it's one of the most most requested topics that I get within my conversation of my community. And Aaron is like the expert that I go to. So this is going to be deep, spiritual, all of the things. Let's welcome Aaron on and we can get started. (laughs) Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Krista. So welcome everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, as Krista said, I'm going to be talking about the Law of One today, some of which I know a lot of you are familiar with. And I'm sure that there's many people watching who maybe haven't heard of the Law of One at all yet. And that's totally cool too, because today's presentation is going to be a pretty quick overview that will really just kind of simplify everything for the lowest common denominator. Even if you've never heard of these concepts, uh, we're going to be looking at a PowerPoint to kind of give you a visual representation of what we're talking about which today is going to be on the science of reincarnation. And more specifically, a topic that is taught in the Law of One that really typically is the concept that really pulls people into the text and gets them excited about uh, getting into the Law of One, which is something called the seven densities of consciousness. And the Law of One has a really amazing way of kind of breaking down um, metaphysical and spiritual truths that 
you know, are typically relegated to the maybe woo-woo category that can't be proven or whatever, like the chakras, reincarnation, and, and so forth. And the law of one has an amazing way of giving really sort of scientific explanations of these topics. We're going to be talking about the science of reincarnation through the model of the seven densities. So to begin, a couple of questions that typically come up for people when we talk about reincarnation that we're going to cover today might be something like, is there a blueprint that every soul follows on their evolutionary journey? Uh, how, how does a soul choose it, the lifetime that it picks for its incarnation? And what are the, the different factors that might influence our soul's uh, reincarnation journey? So we begin with the concept of a density. Now, what is a density? The famous Nikola Tesla quote we've all heard before uh, says, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And that is really what a density is. It represents the frequency of the photon or the vibratory rate of the photon. So the more, uh, the, the higher the vibration of the photon is, the more light there is, the more density of light. So if you take one photon that's vibrating 100 times per second versus a photon that's vibrating a billion times per second, the photon that vibrates a billion times per second is going to have a lot higher density of light, if that makes sense. The more light that there is, the more information there is. The more information there is, the more ability that consciousness has to express itself in all of its unlimited capacity. So two really simple models to help you understand the seven densities would be the seven colors of the color wheel and the seven musical notes on a scale. Now, we know that seven is a really sort of divine, sacred number because we see this number of seven uh, in many places, kind of in the archetypal structure of the universe. So as in the same way that there are seven colors, there are seven notes of a musical scale, there are seven phases, you might say, or levels that consciousness moves through in its evolutionary journey through the universe. And so Ra is, of course, the being that's being channeled in the law of one. It's also called the Ra material. Ra actually likens the universe or the seven densities to a musical scale. And if you play the piano or your musical, this will be a really easy analogy to see. As you hit every note in that scale, starting in, let's say, C major, you go C. D, E, F, G, A, and then B would be the seventh note. Ra says that at the seventh density, when consciousness moves to the eighth density, that's actually the first of the next universe or the next octave in the same way it would be on a musical scale. So for that reason, Ra actually refers to universes as octaves. Each universe is sort of an octave of experience that the one infinite creator is having. And so the following universe is actually built upon all of the knowledge and information that's gained in the previous universe. So it's a pretty amazing concept. Now, if you understand the seven chakras, which I'm sure most of you have at least a basic understanding of what energies those chakras represent, then you can really understand the seven densities because each density is represented within each chakra of the, of the human soul. Our seven chakras, the seven densities rather, are sort of like the seven chakras of the universe. So in that way, the human being really is like the microcosm of the macrocosm. So each chakra represents an actual stage in consciousness that your soul will move through in its evolution. And these chakras represent uh, millions and sometimes billions of years of evolutionary time. So we see the root chakra represents the first density, the sacral chakra represents the second density, and so on and so forth up the seven chakras. So in the first density, the body that the soul inhabits is just purely atomic, right? Just the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, or prana. And this is how consciousness learns how to exist in time and space. So the root chakra, which correlates to the first density, is our most basic foundational chakra. And it represents our basic survival and sexuality as a person. So the way that the red ray chakra is going to be blocked are some things here on the left side of the screen, like fear, uh, sexual shame, or different distortions, fear of safety and security, 
And of course, physical and sexual traumas will block the root chakra. And so to open that chakra in a basic sense requires faith and trust in the divine and self-love or self-acceptance. We love y'all so much. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait for a Debbie. I think it's time. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for some Debbie Brown medicine. I'm ready for Mm -hmm. the queen herself. Debbie is a dear friend of ours. We are so grateful that she is in our life. We were even graced with her presence at dinner last night. So we were really able to feel her energy and um, she is the real deal. She is as powerful and magnetic as she seems on screen in person. And she is such a great leader for us. We're so excited to dig into the workshop with Debbie. You are limitless. All right, Debbie, let's do this. Let's do it. (laughs) Hello. 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 Yes. Oh, I am so happy to be here. Congratulations on an epic day. Oh, oh my gosh, thank you, my love. It's only getting started, baby. Just getting started. I feel like this is the perfect time for your session. How are you feeling? I'm feeling so good. I'm feeling so deep um, in my present moment and just really full of joy to be here with you guys. Oh, we love you. Take it away, baby. It feels so beautiful to be joining everyone in this space. The only way to live a truly, truly limitless life is to set yourself as the number one priority, which is not the same thing as selfish. And I'm pretty sure as listeners of the Almost 30 podcast, you guys are all very familiar with how important self-care is and how it doesn't relate to selfishness. Something we explored on my episode of the show was not leaning into martyrdom because that's what society has passed down to us as the role of women really creating that path by stepping into our lives as the designers and the divine co-creators of our experience along with God, along with spirit. So coming into space of nourishment means making a priority that you spend time with you. And it doesn't just mean, okay, I'm going to work out. Okay, I'm going to do my meditation. It means spending time with yourself for your spiritual development, but with ease in it. So when we are really taking care of ourselves at the deepest level possible, we are unable to unlock our sacred creativity at a high level. Our sacred creativity, which resides within our sacral chakra, and for women that is represented as our womb space, not just birth forth life, literally, you know, not just childbearing, but that is the seat of your power that births your heart's deepest desires, that births your most sacred, sacred, and impactful levels of your own creativity. And everyone watching here is a profoundly creative person. Whether you've recognized that within yourself or not, that might be yet to be seen. But that is what the deepest truth is. Every person watching this is incredibly powerful and has the ability to magnetize, has the ability to manifest, has the ability to create large vision for the world and for yourself. So when we come into that space of accessing our sacred creativity through nourishment, through showing up for us, through being willing to just be still and quiet and not control everything, stillness and quiet is self-care. Then we can access some of our deeper layers. Another step in that, in that self-nourishment is really find a way to carve out a sacred space can look however pleases you. That can mean that this sacred space can be a corner, it can be a windowsill, it can be an entire room, it can be a nook, it can be a drawer. But it's a place that feels tender for you. It's a place that feels nourishing for you. It's a place where you can be gentle with yourself and keep treasured items, keep spiritual items, whether that is crystals, perhaps a Bible or a family heirloom, something of your ancestry, Perhaps they're intention candles or so many varieties of things, spiritual books, incense, um, some coals and some copal resin. Now I'm saying what my favorite things in my sacred space are. But when we come into that sacred space, we're adding our energetic seasoning and we're really able to open a portal within our homes, a portal within ourselves, where we can always return to that deepest level. And it takes intention, it takes thoughtfulness, and it takes daily decisive action, to be on this path, to be on a path of the seeker, to be on a path of 
accessing your dharma, accessing the higher version of you. It means your active participation. And so if you're noticing that you do have a self-care practice or a spiritual practice or sacred ritual that you like to lean into, it can feel really, really nourishing to constantly be checking back. Does this still feel good? Is there something else I'd like to do? If it ever feels restless or constricting, it's just an opportunity to investigate new ways to show up for you. Super excited. We are going to welcome Adriana Ayalis to the stage. Um, Adriana, we've been we've been connected for quite some time now, and we actually did a workshop in the membership, which you all will have access to when you join the membership. Uh, but this is going to be an incredible session today. Um, as we said earlier, Adriana is the founder of Anima Mundi Herbals, and she's the author of the book Adaptogens. And her focus on regener- regenerative farming is now supporter- supporting and directly investing in farms in places like Costa Rica, which she is where she is joining us from, which is so special. And she's just continually sourcing the best medicine that is needed for the entire world. So make sure you check out Anima Mundi Herbals. We have a discount for you all. The code is almost 30. So I want to make sure that we know that going into this, the code for Anima Mundi is almost 30. So you get your discount. Adriana, welcome. How are you? So good to be here. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm going to hand it over to you. Love you dearly. Go for it. Well, what an awesome day and event full of amazing humans. And so great to be with you all here in this cyberspace and connecting. I come from different traditions where I've learned with different indigenous people on how to set up these sacred spaces. And every tradition has their own tweak. But the bottom line that I keep seeing as I work more and more with native people is that there is this base elemental way of working when you're setting up a sacred space, a a space of prayer, herbs, tools, psychic tools, ways of shielding. It all kind of goes hand in hand. And it's like this perfect anatomical way of like referencing this ancient process of how to invoke the divine in our life. And so it can be very poetic, whether whatever tradition you actually practice, I'm sure you can find in your own tradition ways and tools that all these different teachers were already doing this since prehistoric times. So altars ultimately are ancient technology. It's like a science. It's based on this fundamental way of connecting to spirit. And it's considered like a gateway, a place of convergence between our plane and the plane of spirit. You can call it the universe. If you worship specific deities or you're part of certain traditions, this is the point of convergence. So it is very much a place of offering, a place of prayer, and it should encompass all these different elements. So it's actually powerful. So it's actually efficient. So it's so much more than just this beautiful place, which it can be very beautiful, of course, but it's so much more than just setting up beauty. It is actually tools that you actually use to use and fuel your prayers to the next level. You know, so altars should be seasonal. And they actually should change with what you're processing in your own personal way, what you're diving into, what kind of change you're going through, what kind of death cycle you're actually perhaps in, um, what kind of new person you're bringing into your life. So the altar should be in constant metamorphosis to really resemble and mirror where you are right now. Okay, so these are the essentials we must keep in mind when building an altar. And this is very much inspired from traditional people I've worked with in Mesoamerican traditions, starting in Mexico, all the way in Central America, where I'm from Costa Rica. So it's all these different indigenous peoples I've worked with have these elementals as their base. And there's an invitation for you to use and can direct from there, but it is not necessarily something you have to follow no matter what, like be intuitive in your process. And that's the magic of altar building that are actually efficient and powerful, that actually do the work. So for example, a clear intention, so obvious almost, but this is everything. This is the elemental that literally shifts and shapes the altar you're creating and building. If there is no clarity in direction, the altar will not actually serve much of a purpose. 
if you're not putting the symbolic pieces to this altar aligned to the specific intention, it won't match. It won't be that conversion space between spirit and you in that powerful way. So you have to be really sure that frequency is aligned in that sense. What intention do you have now? It doesn't have to be something major. It doesn't have to be something life-changing. It can be very simple. It can be a gratitude practice that really shapes that gratitude into the best way possible on a symbolic level when you're building this. Elementals. So this is all the actual physical elements and obviously intentional, meaning the headspace, the mind, the frequency. Elementals you bring into your altar space. So fire, air, earth, and water. We will go into this in the next slide as to what that really means on a physical level. Cardinal directions are major. And these are metaphysical spaces within our body and in the physical realm that you use to invoke specific archetypal energies into your life. And this is extremely powerful. When I started working truly in the cardinal directions within my own body, I really started feeling the archetypal presences that would speak in my mind and really where you receive psychic messages, insights, intuitive energy, because you know how to discern. You know, it's that magical process of discernment as in what's really intuitive, what is a habit, what kind of mental energy you're really channeling, because these altars are really made for a space to channel information. So again, place of convergence, right? So these directions are all within us in every little process. These directions are active, and it's really important to know how to discern them once you receive the download or energy from the spirit realm. And then ofrendas. Ofrendas are divine offerings. It's the gift you return to the gods. This is where you ask yourself, what can I offer back to the spirit realm for them to give back to me? So it's like this beauty of reciprocity. What can you offer? And this is where all the delicious foods and feasts, and classically you see this in traditions all over the world of people using you know, delicious meals left on the altar. So the deities or archetypal energies or spirits come and really nourish and feast of the altar and in return provide gifts. Jazz is so special and unique and she's really here to share her gifts. And Jazz is here to share her gifts as a presence of remembrance. She reminds you to awaken and align to your truest identity as God. She works with seekers to support them in unearthing their soul's purpose and self-sovereignty, amen, through the lens of embodied human design. I would love to start the human design conversation in the chat. She suspends the space needed to enter the void, unify with your essence and express your vision. Let's welcome Jazz. It's okay to not be on the same time schedule as everyone else. Everything moves in seasons. And that is the biggest thing that I want all of us to take from this is that we are seasonal beings. And I'm not just talking about the four seasons on a, on, on a, on, in a circle or on a clock. We have seasons. Within those seasons, we have cycles. Within those cycles, we have phases. So just because you're in a certain phase today doesn't mean that that's going to be the same phase, cycle, or season that you're going to be in tomorrow. We have timelines that we can jump at any moment. It's infinite. The possibilities are infinite. And when we're coming and looking at life through the lens of identifying as whole, healed, embodied, God, nothing is disturbing us. Because we're not attached to the, to the duality of our planetary sphere. We understand that this planet is here for duality. We understand that we need duality and contrast to grow. We understand these things. And because we understand them on a very subtle level, you all understand exactly what I'm saying on a very subtle level. You don't even have to have the definition of it. We have to learn to navigate it. This is self-sovereignty. This is self-authoritative shit. Yes, the world is this wild place, but how are you going to navigate it? How are you going to show up so that you can express the vision that is inside of you? Through this revelation, I created something unintentionally. I didn't even really mean to create it. I went into meditation. Um, and when I came out, I wrote down these 10 seasons. And when I read them back to myself, I realized that, th that these seasons have been my 
my journey so far. So I would love to share them with you all um, really quickly to, to kind of give you an orient point, an orient point. A lot of times we think that we're so much further than where we need to go. And actually, we're probably just on time. So I'm going to move through these. Um, and if you don't catch all of them, don't worry. They're on my Instagram and you guys can always go back and reread them. So season one, I started with season one. Okay, Season one is living in survival identity. Season one is all about literally having your head down. You're just grinding it out. You're just trying to make ends meet. And the thing that you're here to really move through is that survival identity is not the only identity. There's so many other identities past this one. Your obstacle is that you're not seeing a way out, but I'm here to tell you that there is. There is a way out. So if you're in season one living in survival identity, there is a way out for you. Season two is a glimmer of an alternate existence. Okay, so these are the people that have picked up their heads. They're kind of seeing that the world doesn't only have to be one way. They're seeing that there's many more things past just surviving. But there are obstacles that they don't believe that they can have it too. They believe that it's only for other people. That's not true. You can have it too. Season three is for when you enter the void. Okay, you've realized I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to do something about it. And I know that everyone keeps talking about going within, going within, going within. So I'm finally going to go within. And your obstacle is that you're being swept up in every direction because the void is a very vast place. And so for you, you really want to be in a space, in a community that really can hold you when you're in the void because the void is a, trust me, the void is not to be messed with, okay? It will spit you out if you do not come with correct intentions. And so you really want to be held by a community when you're in that season. Season four is when you're going through your survival identity death, which many people call the, the ego death, right? You're calling in a new God identity, but you're, you're, you're trying to understand who will I be when this new identity comes and your obstacle is trying to know it all before releasing. Then we move into our God identity rebirth. And here we're battling deservingness. We don't really fully believe that we're God. We don't really fully believe that we can have all the things. In season six, we're beginning to express our vision. We've accepted that our God, our true identity is God as God. And we're now struggling with or our obstacles feeling safe to be seen. After that, we move into season seven where our purpose is expanded. We're getting a little bit more wind under our feet. But our obstacle in this season is to learn that structure supports our growth. It's no longer just manifesting at the top of a dime. We have rituals. We have things that we need to get into. In season eight, our vision becomes refined. We begin to maybe have some predictability if we have a business surrounding this vision. But your obstacle is leaning into your desires so that you can create prosperity and not shaming yourself for the things that you want. And then we move into season nine where your revolution is ignited. This is the season that I'm in. And the biggest thing that I'm working through right now is holding more than just myself, allowing my vision to be far bigger than I could have ever imagined not pacing the growth, not trying to make sure that I can keep up with the growth, allowing it to grow past me and knowing that I have my circle of angels and guides to amplify whatever it is that I'm putting out. Right now, I'm practicing omnipresence. And then we get into season 10 where our legacy is sown, where these things are going to outlive us, where what we created on this planet gets to outlive your physical body. And the obstacle here in season 10 is really giving it all. You're not holding back from anything, from anything. This is your full God radiance. Now we have our final session of the day with the amazing and kind and loving and as magnetic in person as she seems on the internet. 
the beautiful Roddy Devlukia Shetty. We're going to be talking about conscious living, nourishing your mind, body, soul, and planet Earth, which is completely aligned with um, our mission and with what we believe is a message that should be shared with the world. I'm so excited. Hi, everyone. It is so lovely. I wish I could see all your faces. I really, really do. Um, But it is so lovely to meet you. I can feel your energy. But today, I'm going to be sharing with you some of my favorite Ayurvedic rituals and yeah, notions that come from Ayurveda to really help with our confidence. So first off, I'm just going to tell you guys what Ayurveda actually means. I'm sure many of you have come across it before. But um, Ayurveda is the most ancient health science to exist. It's over 5,000 years old. And Ayur means life and Veda means knowledge. So it literally translates to the science of life. Um, It's often referred to as the mother of all healing. And I fell in love with Ayurveda because, oh my gosh, for so many reasons. But the main reason was because health is defined in Ayurveda as not just your physical body. It's defined as your physical, it's the harmony between your mind, body, and soul. And it teaches us how to tune into our body to, it it teaches how to tune into our body and how to adapt our life, whether it's external or internal, to create an environment that is optimal for us. And um, you can see on the slide that I've shown that, you know, Western medicine and a lot of it, it's um, one medicine or one recommendation to fit all. But I always thought about this and I was like, how does that make sense? Because, you know, we are also unique in so many ways, whether it's our physical body, whether it's our mental state, whether it's our emotions, we are all so different. We're made of the same elements, but in such different quantities and qualities. And so um, Ayurveda really addresses that. It has such an individual approach and it just empowers you um, to understand your body better to simply be able to nourish yourself in the best way possible. I'm going to talk about how you wake up in the morning. Now, I don't know whether anybody's touched on this, but I actually started doing this. So I used to wake up and um, the first thing I do, I still do this. I say a prayer. I wake up, I open my eyes and I have these beautiful um, pictures around my room, spiritual pictures that I really connect to um, that remind me of the truth that I want to live. And so I'll look at them and I'll say, just any prayer that comes to my mind, whether it's praying to God to thank it, to thank them, whether it's praying to the universe, whether it's thanking God for the breath that I have, whatever is a small prayer. But then I go to my mirror and I, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I am um, you know, dancing in the shower, I will always tell myself every single day I wake up and I say, today is going to be better than it was yesterday. Now, affirmations are so important. Affirmations are us telling ourselves what we need and what we want to hear, what we what we want to manifest for the rest of our day. And so it's such a simple phrase. And like if you're if you're, you know, whether you're with someone or whether you're on your own, I really, really encourage you to say it out loud with me right now. Today is gonna be better than it was yesterday. And it's so simple. Thank you to our amazing speakers for taking the time to grace us all with your amazing energy and presence. Thank you to the thousands of you that attended Camp 2021 with Almost 30. And thank you to Ishu, Anima Mundi, and Yoga Wake Up. We love you all so much. Cannot wait to see you in the membership. Excited for you to join the evolution. This platform has truly been created from our hearts to support you in your growth, learning, connection, and authentic expression. We're so proud of it. We cannot wait to begin with you on August 1st. So you have until July 31st at midnight to join. Visit almost30.com slash membership to learn more. Bye, everyone. Bye.